We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Roth ready to welcome a special guest today. Wow, this sounds exciting. Who is it? Well, I'm sorry. It's actually not a special guest. It's Ray Ratto. Oh, my God. It's like the opposite of a special yeah, guest. Why welcome, would you do this to me? Welcome to the vile trash heap, Ray Ratto. How you doing, Ray? Well, up until now, I'd been doing fine. Fan <laughs> It's American sweetheart, Ray Ratto, ladies and gentlemen. Ray, Ray is joining us. Uh, he is a member of the Defector crew, and Ray, of course, is French. We all know that. Ray Ratto. Yes. From the, from the really weird part of France that sounds a lot more like Italy. <laughs> you guys ready to do some riffing? Whoa, what whoa, if we wait, said no? No one said anything about riffing. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna give we're gonna buy you some tasty podcast riffs, and we're gonna get we're gonna smooth out. We're gonna be we're gonna do we're gonna do a much better job getting into the podcast than we have at the start because my French joke just bombed the shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I didn't know where you were going with it, but I suspected the toilet would be the ultimate destination. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh, all right, uh, I wanted to ask you guys uh, uh, an earnest question. That I cannot answer uh, for myself. College football started on Saturday with Austin P. State. It's no longer just Austin P. It's Austin P. State, which That's seems disappointing to me. It seems superfluous to me. I don't know why you would add a state to it. Anyway, they uh, they opened up the college football season. I did not watch it, and I'm inclined at the moment, Ray, to not watch college football on principle. Like I think it's just this is real lupica shit, but it feels almost immoral to watch it. Am I? Is that wrong to feel? Should I just watch it if I feel like it? You can watch it if you feel like it. I mean, you know, everybody's got their own church. I mean, I'm not going to watch it, um, at least not early on, because while every sports is a guilty pleasure, some are guiltier and less pleasurable than others. And college yeah. football has basically done the one thing that football is never supposed to do, which is show you all the ways in which the sausage is made. And right. now, now I'm feeling pretty pork free. Yeah, I love I love watching college football, and I knew it was exploitative before. And I obviously, love sausage. All, obviously, I just all the to get in with all that. the sports we watch are exploitative in some way. But at least with the pros, I feel like okay, they're getting paid. They're like grown adults. I mean, technically, the college football players are also adults since they're over eighteen. But like, you know, they're they're getting fucking paid, and they have a union, so they you know, there's some they have some agency in that regard. Whereas college football players, it's really either you you play because that's all your you know you have that's the only way you have sort of uh, a, a way of raising your professional prospects either for the NFL or just in general for you know your basic outside of football career, or you go on you know you go on a strike even though you can't unionize. So it's like it's it's shit and shinola you're picking between. You can't do anything. Well, yeah, and unlike professional football, uh, your future is held in the hands of somebody who is, for the most part, dedicated to making sure you are unpaid and overworked. And without the guarantee that you will get the education that they promised you when you signed up and where your freedom is also restricted by transfer rules. So basically, you know, now you throw on top of that heap the magic of oh and by the way you're going to have to get sick for the for the company it feels a little bit like coal mining and There's, you know i i don't know that i want to watch gary danielson doing coal mining every saturday <laughs> there's definitely this disconnect between the two now where there's like it's 
not clear at all that you can ethically or safely send kids to class, but they're making this point that you can somehow do football without that. And I don't, I don't know how they are going to plan on squaring that circle. My suspicion is that they're not going to bother at all. No, the, the, they're just going to sort of be like, yeah, football exists, college football exists independent of college, which I think has been a, a point we've been heading to for a long time now. Now, Mike Gundy explained it all for you in uh, April when he said, we have to get these guys back to work. You know, the, the university right. depends on their labor. And he stripped away all the notions of anything other than them being football players. And the truth is, as much as we savaged him, he was guilty of honesty because that's what they are and that's what this is. And even the noble coach here and there who who can talk the talk better is still just talking the talk because Gundy showed us – he showed us the abattoir. And we don't like it, but we don't like it – but we don't not like it enough to keep going by. So I think that's the – you know. The, he he gave us the naked truth. We didn't like it, but we signed on to it anyway. That's the other thing is that, uh, you know, the, the college football bros are always like, well, they're paid in a scholarship. They're paid with an education. And it totally glances over the fact that neither the teams nor nor the players really are all that interested in the education part of that shit. Like, you know, like if you go by the UNC cheating scandal, or you just go by the basics of, like, I went to Michigan for a semester. Like, athletes didn't give a fuck about class or anything like that. So you're really saying they're paying them in something that they don't actually value and that the team doesn't actually value all that much. So they're not actually getting they're actually getting the education that they would need otherwise if they're not playing football. Well, and, and they have to push for the education that they want. I mean, they have to basically, you know, go to the coach who sends them to the academic advisor who, you know, sets up their classes in such a way that, you know, they work around practice. I mean, they are yeah, told... They're told every day in every way, uh, you're a football player first, and if you get a degree, fine, but it's not a big deal for us. Yeah, and what's Mike Gundy going to say, too, if his quarterback wants to do pre-med, you know, or something? Mike Gundy (laughs) would never recruit a pre-med quarterback. No, he would, yeah, he would actively say, son, I need to know if you like learning. Yeah, because that 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 is going to make me doubt your commitment to anything else. Yeah, he might sign a pre-ag contract. So then, all right, so I can skip watching Austin P. State because I don't give a fuck about Austin P. State, but the SEC schedule is going to boot up and ACC and, uh, and the Pac, no, not the Pac-12, and the, and the, big, the big 12. The, the Big Ten's out, even though Trump and like Clay Travis are holding like some sort of imaginary summit to get the Big Ten. So good. They're not the power brokers. January the earliest, I know they're trying to, they're trying to figure out a plan because some parents were angry or something like that, and they still want their money. It was but, like 20 parents, uh, like, though. There will be real, legitimate, like quality college football coming this month and later in October. Like, I know we're starting a sports site, so it's our job to watch sports. But then again, at our old place, we did a shit job co- covering <laughs> college sports. Should we continue doing that shit job? Or should we, should we? should I be paying attention to this, and should I be watching it? Dave? Oh God! You've been there longer tell- than I have. <laughs> so I would, uh, I would never tell Drew what to do. Like I would give him advice on like if he wanted to pick out an outfit or something like that. I would never tell him uh, like what to cover or what not to cover. But to me, the concern with all this is like beyond the the ethical concerns of covering college football. Like I think that you saw this in the Austin P game, and it's probably not 
a good idea to project what the SEC is going to look like based on an Austin P game uh, in late August. Right. But they had a bunch of players, like their entire long snapping unit was either quarantined or sick. So they had a guy long snapping for them that hadn't done it maybe ever, or at least since high school, who was like their fourth string long snapper. And they lost the game because the guy couldn't snap the ball to the punter correctly. Like, I think that for whatever the ethical arguments against it, I think that college football is going to look pretty bad, even by college football standards this year. And I'm not sure that like, I mean, it depends, I guess, like, you know, we have to think about what the readers want or whatever, but no one ever got mad when we didn't cover college stuff before. They mostly got mad when we did. <laughs> That's just, yeah, we always got people mad that we like covered like esports or something. Like we're like, non sports. Yeah, that's nerd shit. But yeah, you're right. The by the way, I have tried long snapping because I was an offensive lineman. It's hard. It's, I'm sure. It's, it's you think like, oh well, it's the guy in the it's the dregs of the roster doing it. It's like it's really fucking hard. Like imagine having ring- to do it for the first time since you're 15 at what's been hyped up as a moment of like national healing on television, and you're like, well, this doesn't seem that bad. That? Just right between my legs, right? That's not so hard. Yeah, there are there are pro centers who fuck up regular snaps, like guys in the NFL who aren't like who are so their job is to do just the regular snap, and they're sometimes they're not very good at that. Like the long snapping is a bitch. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean the one guy I think it's LP Lattisor, you know, had carved out a fifteen year career doing that. So obviously, some coach somewhere thinks it's important, and there's one of those coaches on every team in the NFL. So they actually look for guys who can do that. It's. It's a very granular skill, but it's a skill that you find out how badly you need it when you see the punter chasing a chasing a snap that sailed over his head late in the game. I just feel like the college football is not prepared for the level of disruption that they're going to face here. And the idea that you can just sort of brazen it out, like, you know, they can in some ways, like they're going to play the games and all that. Like, and I don't know what it'll take to make them stop, but I also don't know, uh, that it's going to be the product that people are, are used to it being. I don't yeah, think judging. Oh, go ahead. Ray. No, I was just going to say, I don't think college football cares what the product is. They, they promise to deliver inventory and they're not going to worry about quality control. I mean, the coaches will do that and they'll be the ones who get fired if their quality control leads them to go three and nine. But I think by and large, the people who have made these decisions, which is presidents and athletic directors don't care. They have, they have hours to deliver to networks in exchange for, you know, train loads of money. And that's the deal. I mean, that's what you saw with baseball. That's what you're going to see with the NFL. Uh, that's what you saw with the NBA bubble, which everybody thought was such a great idea till you found out the toll that it takes on the players. Uh, it was There was inventory that needed to be delivered, and they are delivering it no matter what the conditions. I would disagree with you on the NBA product because I think the NBA product has been – has been fantastic. Well, no, really. I, what I, I wasn't talking about the games. I was talking about sort of the toll on the players where you're playing two and a half hours a day and the other 21 and a half hours of the day, you're in a place where you can't go anywhere and you are thinking about either nothing but basketball or nothing but the abuse you're taking for the way you played basketball. I think that Paul George, yes. uh, I mean, he basically said, this is really hard. And I'm talking about more the psychic toll on the players than the product. The product, which hasn't been great except for, you know, some isolated games here and there and some isolated performances here and there, the games have been more lopsided than normal. And the other thing is that 
there's a lot less defense being played because I think in some ways the players are tired. And when you see weariness, you see it on the defensive end, not the offensive end. And there are a ton more threes being taken this year than ever before. So I think it's it's sort of a it's more like a bunch of you know super glorified pickup games in some extent. And now you're seeing in the second round that it's a lot grittier and grimier, like playoff basketball usually is. Yeah, the uh, it's interesting you were talking about that because um, the Nuggets, who I want to call the Nuggies from now on, they uh, they beat the Jazz the other night in Game Seven, and uh, and Scott Van Pelt surprised uh, Jamal Murray after the fact by telling him that he wasn't going to get two days off uh, between the uh, game seven and game one of the next series they have against the Clippers. And, and Jamal looked like defeated by that. And like you, like you were saying, like, it would seem like, Oh, like, like he doesn't have to travel. He doesn't have to go anywhere. And when you play, you get to sort of psychic, you know, psychologically escape the fact that you're contained in the bubble. So it would seem, you know, counterintuitively that it would be, be energizing to be able to play all these games back to back, but in fact, it's the opposite. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, we've never understood what players go through. We just sort of never. project what we think they should be going through because they have the lavish lifestyle that suggests that this is really easy and fun. And I think in this case, and I get why they did the bubble. I'm not trying to say that the bubble was, you know, an awful concept because it was the only way they could do this and not have players get COVID you know, on an hourly basis. Right. But this is one of those unintended consequences. And, you know, I mean, if you, if you get to the conference final and lose, you know, you, you'll have gone through all sorts of hell and your reward is to go through all sorts of more hell later. Um, right. You know, and, and coaches are going to get, you know, more coaches are going to get fired as a result of this, these games, you know, in, in a completely artificial season, you know, which is weird beyond weird. I mean, Nate McMillan got gassed and, and Brett Brown got gassed. Uh, you know, I think, you know, owners, like I said, th- this is inventory for them. And if they want to fire a coach, they're going to fire a coach and there will be no asterisk put on the reason why. It's just, I'm sorry, you disappointed me. You must be banished. It's funny. Cause I, uh, we also, we haven't really talked about the psychological toll, uh, taken on players of the outside world that that compelled George Hill and the rest of the Bucks to to uh to go on that wildcat strike um during the Orlando series and you could tell uh when they were talking to Chris Paul and to Doc Rivers that the immense weight that all of those men carried after the Jacob Blake shooting so we haven't even factored that in and that is just an enormous burden upon them that you know that you, you know, we're three white guys. We, you know, as as rough as it, as it is for us to process this news, it's a million times rougher for them. And the isolation of it and the sacrifice of it just seems to me to be so over the top relative to what credit they've gotten for doing that. Like, yeah, it's the only way that this thing could be made to work. But also, like, Hill's point that, like, maybe it shouldn't have been made to work. Maybe there were more important things to do. Like, that's never been you know, far from the the front of my mind with any of this, as happy as I've been to have the basketball as like freaky and unrepresentative as it has been. uh, There's still something about it that feels stilted and kind of off. And I mean, I guess that's just the way it's going to be in all of these now. Like if you choose not to remedy, not just, you know, the social issues that 
create the situation in Kenosha. But if you choose not to try to manage a pandemic, then you're going to get what you're going to get. And it's not going to, you know, make sense because that's not a sensible decision. And yet, like, you know, here we all are. Uh, Ray, do you feel like the NBA champion this, uh, well, this fall will be legitimate? Because I feel like, I feel like I'm still watching legitimate basketball. I don't quite feel that way about baseball. Yeah. And we already talked about college football, but I feel like the NBA and actually the hockey too has more of a professional sheen to it and feels more like itself. Uh, even though there are all these external factors, like let's say the Lakers win a title. Will you have a mental asterisk with it or will you not give a shit, Ray? Uh, I'm, I have come to develop the attitude that now that we know what we have put them through, when you include the Jacob Blake, when you include the Wildcat strike, when you include all the things that they've had to endure, I'd say it, it's almost more legitimate because the stresses and strains, you know, everywhere else have been greater. I mean, it's extraordinary to me how much we have required of them um, to to provide entertainment for us and inventory for their bosses. And so I think... Legitimacy, one, nobody defines what legitimate is except, well, it's what it's normal. Well, none of this is normal. So in that way, it would be illegitimate. But I think it's harder because of the things that we've now seen that the players have shared with us, players and coaches have shared with us. And so I think it's – it probably in some ways is more – I don't know if legitimate is the right word. I think the I think the word maybe is uh, more astounding a feat because winning a championship is hard under any circumstances, even when you can go home and see your family whenever you want and you're flying, you know, <sighs> you know you're doing the normal things that basketball players do. That's hard. This is way harder, I think, in a lot of different ways. And the reason why I think you feel differently about baseball is because they've changed a bunch of rules to try to make the game something other than what everybody remembers the game being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, between all those things, you know, and the fact that, you know, every day there's new, there, there are new COVID postponements. I mean, the Oakland A's now are, are shut down till Friday. And then they have to play the San Diego Padres and guys who hit five home runs an inning. Um, you know, it just, we've, you know, baseball has sort of cobbled together inventory and they've done it with a, you know, a bunch of new ideas, all of which have been designed to make the games go faster. And the games so aren't you can going. Get more of them in, too. I mean, it's all just like, it, you talk about inventory and stuff like that. This is like, they're going buy one, get one, like basically through September. I think the it Phillies is. have a seven-game series with the Cardinals. No, not with the Cardinals. Um, uh, Miami, I think. Yeah, I was. The Cardinals also missed a ton of games. The Cardinals still yeah. have to play like whatever fifty games over the last forty-six days of the season or something. They're, yeah, they played like twenty-six games, and I think uh, like the Giants have played thirty-seven. You know, it's sort of like a schedule from nineteen sixteen. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. Which like one team got croup, and so they just couldn't participate. Like the Philadelphia Button Tops. Yeah, it feels like it feels like every MLB team right now gets its turn in the barrel, where it's like they're passing around COVID crises to one another, like it's fucking sharing time in preschool yeah. and shit. Uh, I want to ask you both of you. I want to get back to the NBA for a moment because, as it stands right now, we have 
all of the final, we have the final eight teams set, except for one as of this recording, because uh, while we're talking, the Rockets and the Thunder have yet to play game seven. But all right, so I want to ask you what the, uh, what your optimal finals matchup is. And you can factor in quality of play. You can factor in righteousness. You can factor in whatever you want. But what would be your favorite finals outcome between the teams that are remaining uh, in the field? So in the Western Conference, you've got the Lakers, Rockets, Thunder, Nuggets, and Clippers. And then in the East, you have the Bucks, Heat, Raptors, and uh, the Celtics, who are already making short work of the Raptors. Rado, what, what's your f- preferred finals pairing uh preferred in terms of uh strength of basketball probably clippers bucks in terms of sort of what what i've seen uh the bucks for sure because of what they did to basically remind everybody else in their business that you know social justice is not just a slogan you know it's just sometimes you have to walk off the job and I thought, yes. I thought that was far more noble than anything else. And then probably Denver, because I can watch Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray for days on end. Um, you know, Denver's not going to do this, of course. But I think that, would be, the one, that would be the one in which I would come as close as I humanly can to having a rooting interest. What if uh, what if the Rockets win the NBA Finals? Like I, in my mind, it's in my mind this is a legitimate uh, playoff field, unless like the Celtics win, then I'll just be a hater and be like, nah, don't count, don't count. Yep, million burps getting mad at you every time you say asterisk for any reason. That's what but it's James, all about. James Harden winning an NBA championship now would be just so painfully and disgustingly appropriate. Yeah, like when you get into the business of parsing sports outcomes as like omens and signs on the state of the world, which to be fair, I've been in since, I mean, longer than 2016, but that was the yep. first one. When the Cubs went in the World Series, I was like, well, there's no guarantee about anything now, is there? Like this could, <laughs> anything could change. Luckily that uh, didn't come to pass and everything's remained normal since then. But the, like the idea of, like Harden winning it and giving like a really blase interview after like game six where he's like, well, you know, just shooting. It's kind of what I do. Like <laughs> that would be uh, nothing less than what we deserve. I agree with Ray that the the Bucks seem the most heroic team to me in the playoffs. I don't think that they're going to get there. Like I, they just haven't seemed as good to me. I don't know what it is about them that I'm not convinced about. It might be that I've never seen a really good Milwaukee Bucks team in my lifetime. They're not like a necessarily a joy to watch. Like no. we've talked about this, like like they're very nineties ish where it's okay, well we'll have Giannis do some neat shit and everyone else just stands around and, you know, if they happen to be open because everyone's converging on Giannis, then Chris Middleton can make a three or something like that. To me, it is not the most electrifying brand of basketball. It, it ain't the same as watching Jamal Murray yeah. go fucking absolutely ham. On the, yeah. on the jazz and, I score that, that, and drop 70 points a fucking that the game. Nuggets don't have anything left in the tank but they've already given us so much like that was that was fun as hell and like I'm, yeah and I'm at this point like I mean the Celtics are awfully good uh I think Celtics Clippers would be hilarious just to watch Pat Beverly and Marcus Smart do like spy versus spy shit to each other in terms of flops and like sabotage right. and banana peels and whatever uh those are but there's some really good teams left i I kind of like watching the Heat, uh, despite my my better judgment. That like there's something really like pure about their approach of just being like we're in much better physical shape and we're way more annoying than any other team, and that's that's their <laughs> that's their angle. 
<laughs> and I like that. But yeah, I'm also like, again, like the clips are not anybody's favorite, you know, team to watch necessarily at this point. But like I Stockholm syndrome to myself into becoming a Clippers fan in college. So like this is actually kind of neat to me, even though uh, like everybody kind of hates them and would want them to go away. Jesus, who hurt you when you were a child? I was, yes, it's, honestly, Ray, I had similar thoughts. Like, I grew up as a Nets fan, but that's like a frog that's uh, born in a pot on a stove that's gradually warming, and you're like, oh, I like this, this is cool. But then I, I traveled across the country. I did not change anything else about my life or personality, but I did travel across the country, and then, like, I watched the Clippers getting blown out by 23 on, like, a little you know, television in my dorm room on KCAL 9. And I was like, this feels like home. Eric Piekowski is my friend now. I have no idea how I wound up there. Like I had, I could have chosen any other way to do it. And, uh, yeah. And Billy Crystal and Billy Crystal is a Clippers super fan. How can you not like that? Yeah, I guess it was, I guess it was just that I love seeing Kadeem Hardison on TV and, uh, (laughs) you could, you would show up on the sideline three times a game. Cause like, what else are you going to show? Like, uh, (laughs) have you not blown your brains out because the other I ask myself this every day man you're a huge Mets fan I mean if I mean you've basically given us three classic psychological cries for help right in oh, a yeah. row no there's like there's a whole th- I think several uh like I will probably never get to release one of those compendiums of sports writing where it's called like final innings David Roth but there is like a whole I have like uh 40 pages in the DSM about uh what what happened to my mind yeah, your, your therapist just being like, you know, I, we're trying to tr- work out issues, Roth, and all you keep doing is talking about guys, and then you're like, <laughs> you know, Tim Tuffle was an underrated uh, infielder back in the Yeah, the shuffle, of course, which everyone remembers. He's like, yeah, well, we have to stop. <laughs> Let's take a break and come back and talk about more <laughs> shit. We'll be right back. We're back. We're back. And you know who else is back? Magic Johnson is back. I just want to oh. read you the tweet. Can I Can I, uh, can I entreat you guys to a, a Magic Johnson tweet? Give me that purred. Serve me yeah. the purred. The strong purred happily vibes from Magic Johnson. He was, actually, he did that the other night during a game where he was like, like he was like, well, in order for the Nuggets to win, somebody between Jamal Murray and Nikolai Jokic Jeremy Grant and like listed half the roster has to step up and then, and, <laughs> so then good. and then for the Utah Jazz and it just listed every player on the it's roster. Their top like, seven of, guys. Yeah, like one of those guys has to step up. Jazz yeah, probably like, won't need much from Matt Harpering in this game, but it reminds me of one of the uh, great moments in broadcasting history from a long time ago when Bill King was doing a Warrior playoff game and his uh, his sidekick was Hank Greenwald. And it's a particularly dramatic moment. And Bill King is saying, the Warriors have to get a basket here. They have to. They absolutely have to score here. And Hank Greenwald just says, well, they don't have to, but it would probably be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a, like a must-win game press conference question, just distilled into yeah. the like game. Like, nice- we're not going to die if we lose. I mean, we want to win. <laughs> yeah. We're in favor right. of it. It kills me that they still have, like, on NFL games, they'll still have, like, Phil Simms' key to the game, and it'll just say, like, run hard, like, as a <laughs> bullet point and shit. Fail to fail. Uh, Magic Johnson tweeted on Monday, 
Cookie and I just got back from Croatia, and we highly recommend it to anyone. The food was fantastic, and the country is just beautiful. Acted as if there's no fucking pandemic at all. And like Magic. posted a, a beautiful shot of what I assume is Dubrovnik and like a yacht and like shit. And I just want to know like how the fuck he got to Croatia. Like I know he's filthy fucking rich, but like I want to know like does Magic know that like you're not supposed to travel? It's possible he doesn't. Um, if he does know, it was only a fleeting thought in his head because Croatia calls. I mean, the, yeah. the cry of split is never to be ignored. He was throwing down, like this, this summer, he was throwing down some, some seriously earnest tweets about, you know, social awareness. And, and he was talking about the things that everyone else was talking about. But then when he had the opportunity, he went right back into Perd Happily mode and was yep. like so happy to have dinner with Lyft founder Peter Thiel. We had lobster <laughs> and could not recommend it more to anybody. I mean, like, I would love to go to Croatia. I, I felt like we're still in Maine. We're coming back soon. But like I felt ethically, you know, questioning about like the idea of like coming here. Like we did everything as responsibly as we could. But the idea of like jetting off someplace and being like, yeah, like the discos are everything that you've heard. Like even more shirtlessness <laughs> than like it's really. But it seems like that that whole area. I remember seeing a photo of it wasn't Djokovic, but that like part of the world just seems to be like at another level in terms of denialism where uh, COVID is concerned that there's like a bunch of tennis players got sick and then like a video uh, surfaced of them. Like it was, they, it was Djokovic. Was it Djokovic? Cause Djokovic yeah. I know is, has got all kinds of crazy wellness ideas. Like he's like sort of on that TB12 uh, mentality to a certain extent, but this yes, was he, like, he thinks oh, you can beat COVID by avoiding gluten. Yeah. He's one of those people. But it was like, there, it, there are cases there. It's not the sort of thing where it's like New Zealand, where you can go back to like living like you're normal like this, but it was so pro tennis player. Like it was exactly what I imagined their social life being like, like there it was like clearly brunch, but it's also a disco and like none of the men are wearing shirts and you're just kind of like, I don't know. It's like two in the afternoon. Like, how are you doing any of this? But that like, that part of it is not necessarily what would would entice me to go over there, but like I'd love to go someplace. I, I think yeah. magic, like a lot of rich people, I think just feel feel like this isn't real to them. Like the Hamptons are apparently as normal and awful as they've ever been. Well, the Hamptons, you already quarantined anyway because people wouldn't even go. Like they have the most beautiful beaches in the world, and the rich people would never fucking go to them because yeah. they had an infinity pool overlooking the ocean. They would just <laughs> never bother. So, well. Yeah. As much as I admire Magic for a lot of different things, when he tweets, he becomes Larry King. Yeah. yeah and he does. Um, definitely on the King's Things wavelength. And, and I think, you know, while basically almost anybody can tweet, I mean, it, it's literally a skill that requires that you actively not go to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, there's an insipid nature to, uh, you know, like the Croatia tweet and the, the the entire roster of the Nuggets has to come up with a big play here. It makes him almost something for connoisseurs that you, okay. you follow him because you know you're going to get something that will just just leave you sort of slack jawed. Let me read the tweet because he said, I'm so excited for Denver versus Utah game seven to see Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell for Denver to win. Nikola, Nikola Jokic. Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, or Michael Porter Jr. has to step up. 
for Utah to win, it's on Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Inglis, or Rudy Gobert to step up. He just listed the starting five for each fucking team. It's so killing good. me. It's just. Yeah. I mean, and, and the whole nature of that series has just been, you know, two guys. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the part of it. What he's asking is. for is for game seven to be played in a completely different fashion than each of the first six in the only series that has really been entertaining start to finish. Yes. That's actually a very funny point because it's as like sort of baseline, like just useless as it is to be like, somebody else is going to have to score. Here are the other players in the starting lineups of each team. It is also wrong on its merits. That is just not true. Like what you, you don't need anything but Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. They've spent seven games proving it. By the way, uh, Rado, you mentioned the uh, Larry King, and it's killing me. And you can correct me on this, but I watched a Dodgers game, and they had the cutouts. And uh, and they had a Mary Hart cutout, which was great. Because, you know, I, that's what I expect. I expect Mary Hart to be back there, like, just yelling at people, you know, and not wearing a mask and shit like that. But I didn't see a Larry King cutout. And I really wanted a Larry King cutout that, like, progressively was lowered like that's what i was gonna say you should just be able to see the top of his head (laughs) like for the playoff games the larry king like like you'd see larry king like wow that's larry king and by the ninth inning he was like the size of a fucking raisin (laughs) (laughs) i i i I think outfitting cardboard cutouts with like you know hydraulics is probably more than they really want to spend on that particularly bizarre idea what i would really like is for them to have to turn the cardboard cutouts around so that everybody is facing away from the field and all you see is this sea of sort of you know off brown and you just go (laughs) or if i thought you were making a dodgers joke where like you only start putting them in in the fourth inning and then you're like oh right yeah it's nice yeah feels like i mean the cardboard guys is as if they were inflatable, like the pilot in airplane, like if they were like, like, you know, the punching bags where it's weighted on the bottom and you punch it and it comes back up like just those. And they're just sort of like, like disturbingly, like vibrating a little bit with the wind and shit like that. I'd like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm only mildly less offended by the cardboard cutouts than I am the fake noise, which genuinely enrages me. But you don't you don't like the fake noise. Oh, I loathe it. What about even like during the NBA games? Because they have the sound levels pretty even. Like they do a nice job integrating it. I I think they are trying to lie to you by pretending that there are people there. Well, they're definitely lying to me. Well, I I mean, you know, how much more how much more lying can you have? I mean, the last four years has been sort of a festival. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm good at being lied to now. Yeah, I'm very skilled at it. That's like the, the comforting thing. Yeah, to me, it's you know. It's one more way that they tell you that it's about the inventories. We want the people at home to feel like this is normal. Well, but it's not. I mean, just, you know, face it. This is not normal on a ton of levels, and we're still asking them to play. So watch it the way they're experiencing it. What they're worried about is the odd F-bomb, as though, you know, there haven't been enough outrages here that, you know, a bad word is suddenly going to cause the republic to wet itself right like the idea that like the pandemic itself just like sort of not being 
like we're like for a while we tried to cut a deal with it and then we just started ignoring it entirely that that's somehow going to be harder for people to deal with than Jeff McNeil uh yelling fuck after hitting a pop up. Well, the I mean, other thing is that uh the baseball in an empty stadium baseball has such fantastic sound effects on its own that I don't mind it there. I I think hockey is also a great sound sport like just for foley like yeah, like organic foley effect. Yeah, some ASMR stuff with a lot of shushing and on the occasional like sort of sound. Basket basketball, I need a bit of a, a bed underneath because otherwise you just get squeaks. Which- I think the difference that I've this is again all of us talking about uh, the ways like that we have chosen to delude ourselves on this. Obviously, that's true with baseball. I don't mind a baseline of noise and like kind of just like rustling fans and stuff like that because that does it feels right to watch it that way. It's when they try to make it um, like moment specific where they'll like play cheers after the home team gets like whatever, the, a guy out with runners on base or something like right. that. That's where I'm like, all right, now you're insulting me. Like if you're just giving me something else to listen to, like back during the, the real dark days of quarantine, Drew and I did a Zoom call and he was like, he had downloaded some uh, sound effects from like a bar and he was like, you want me to play these in the background? Just make it seem more normal. And I did. And it totally worked, and I really liked it. Just hearing like other people's conversations and the periodic like clinking of glasses, I think that like I'm way more uh, susceptible to that sort of thing than I would like to believe. Hopefully, it, well, the, it won't be a problem going forward. The other thing, Rado, and you're not going to like this, but like the fake crowd noise works on the NBA games because they have the Zoom crowd, so they have actual like people watching. They're not there, obviously, but then my mind will connect the faces I'm seeing (laughs) in the background to the noise. And it makes sense. Like it's obviously a fucking illusion and it's a cheat, but like it makes more sense than hearing fake crowd noise in a stadium with cutouts. And I, my brain knows there are not people there. You know what I mean? Rado? I do. But every one of the people who are, who they put on those boards at the NBA games are people you would emigrate to avoid. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, just, you know, there, there isn't a person there where you go, yeah, I'd like to watch a game with him or her. I mean, no, no they're all wearing sort of, they're all wearing team T-shirts, which is creepy. They're all cheering and waving their arms. Go, God, I, I couldn't think of a worse way to watch sports than with somebody like that. I mean, they're all season ticket holders too, right? So they're like weirdos in pajamas in front of like a fancy computer. Yeah, and, and it le- and it leads to like completely dystopian things like the NFL yesterday. Roger Goodell said that teams that don't have fans are not at a competitive disadvantage to teams that have fans. And then Troy Vincent doubles down and says that everybody's going to get to use fake noise. They're just trying to decide how much. I mean, how many more ways can they tell you that fans don't matter? I mean, literally, they're saying that the in-game experience is basically you just being a wallet with feet for those weasels. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, to be fair, you're never not aware of that at an NFL game. Like, they remind you of that at every moment. <laughs> yeah, you just, I mean, you just taste your own vomit at the whole concept. Because basically what they're saying is something that Leonard Coppett, who was one of my old bosses and one of the smartest people I ever met, said that at some point, going to a game would be like going to a th- going to the theater because it would be incredibly expensive and but you would get the live experience and watching on television would be like going to the movies well now they've ratcheted it up to the point where nobody's getting to go to the games and i get why but it's just 
it's it takes weird and makes it weirder and it makes it clearer and clearer that if you want to get into one of these games, you are literally going to pay through the nose for a more artificial and less interesting experience than ever before. It's the, you pay more, we give less. And if that's not a statement about why we suck, I don't know that, I don't know that one exists. Yeah, that's like, as smart as your boss was, I don't think he could have anticipated that everything would become Netflix during your lifetime. Well, he did die, he did die 30 years ago, so I'm going to give him a little break on that. That's fair. If he was thinking about Netflix 30 years ago, um, then yeah, he had, he had bigger problems than having to try to get you to file on time. Yeah, he's not. True, he, yeah, he's not the professor in in uh, Futurama. <laughs> By the way, you spoke earlier about uh, making sure that uh, no profanities were heard during the uh, during the telecast. To that end, Ray, it's time to drink from the poison chalice and uh, and hear a bad tweet. Would you like to hear a bad tweet? Gee, there are so rare. There are so few of them that I guess this will be a special moment for us. How all. did you pass up this opportunity? Yeah, uh, that's from Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News. He, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not a poisonous opinion from him, but it's one he relayed on ABC broadcast. Mike Breen said Montrezl Harrell apologized to Luka Doncic for calling him a bitch ass white boy. Uh, Bondi himself censored bitch ass white boy in his tweet. Jeff Van Gundy said he was surprised the league took no action. Mark Jackson acknowledged there's a double standard and it'd be a bigger deal if reversed. It would be a bigger deal if it were reversed, but there's a very good fucking reason yeah, for that. It's true. But Mark Jackson saying that is just so on point for Mark Jackson. <sighs> I just mm, just real Mark Jackson shit. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's a little bit like the Mike Gundy thing we talked about earlier. I don't mind a guy saying a truth that makes you cringe, as long as it's true. Because there are enough other things that make you cringe that aren't true. And for me, the first bar to clear is, is this accurate? And then you can apply all the context you want to it. And, you know, you can cringe for that reason. But the statement taken in and of itself is probably true. It's just the judgment to make You it. have to go to that next level before you go, Ugh. But you know what? That's the price that's we pay for making all these deals with ourselves mentally uh, for so many years. It's just, yeah, I, yeah, I know that's probably right, but I don't want to hear it. Well, I think it's, I think it's that Mark sort of lamenting that it would be a bigger deal if reversed when really that's how it ought to be. Well, I, I, no, I th- I, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that, you know, Mark Jackson as sort of the, you know, the vehicle for that probably isn't the right one, but I'd feel a lot worse about it if Van Gundy had said it. Cause I'm oh, go- yeah. 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 See, so, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to shade this a hundred different ways so that it doesn't sound like so teeth grindingly weird, but right now teeth grindingly weird is what we have and we shouldn't be running from it just because it makes us feel uncomfortable. My tolerance for surreality right now is, extremely high i think i i mostly i picked it out because van gundy and mark jackson seem to have the if not the order at least the desire to sound as unhappy as possible at all times it's during the incredible. entire fucking telecast. and that's like the a team is staller and waldorf i yeah! don't know how they decided on that 
It's George a, Burke is right there. I feel like with I wrote about this last year, like near the end of things at the site, and I was surprised that there are Mark Jackson's got stands. Like he's got like an online culture of, you know, they're not exactly like shooters. They're people that write you emails. They don't respond to your tweets, but they are like they feel like he gets he got a bum rap in Golden State as a coach, which I uh, disagree with. But I'm I'm happy to entertain any um, opinions that he's secretly a better coach for the Warriors than Steve Kerr, uh, which, you know, I entertained them. But he's just such bad vibes. He's such a mush. And I feel like Van Gundy was not necessarily like that before the two of them were put together. Like, I think having a grouch on a podcast is fine. Having two plus Mike Breen is not what you want. Well, but, you know, first of all, taking them in order, uh, Steve Kerr doesn't happen without Mark Jackson. Of course, of course. I mean, I think that I think the 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 two poles of Mark Jackson coaching analysis are are the Warriors couldn't have done it without him, which probably isn't true, but they also needed him to make that intermediate step, which is yeah. true and he never gets credit for it. So, he's either credited too much or credited too little. As as for the, you know, the uh, the broadcasts I mean, the ideal pairing in my mind would be Stan Van Gundy and Doris. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be down with that. I'd be, I would absolutely do that. But, you know, it's the one of the things that I think is clearly true about television is that they don't trust people to be smart too much. Mm-hmm. And no. I think and I and I think you saw that in to a certain extent on the on the NHL broadcasts on NBC, too, where, you know, Jeremy Roenick didn't never added very much even before he became, you know, weird on weird. And Mike Milbury was sort of like this Don Cherry light when in fact they could find smart people. I mean, AJ Malesko is pretty good at what she does. I mean, I'm not even counting Mike Emmerich, but you know, Brian Boucher is good at what he does, but for some reason, executive producers want a little bit of meathead. Because I think ultimately they think that the people they are bringing these games to are meatheads. Yeah, I think there's something yep. to that. And the only real broadcasts that actually work are the, the NBC's uh, Premier League broadcasts because nobody there is a panderer. You know, they're they're giving you sort of what you're after without without doing shtick and without, without playing roles. I mean, yeah. when they send them out to be with fans, that's cringeworthy. But when they're just in the studio talking about you know, the first half of Everton Tottenham, you're getting what TV is meant to do and what TV does best. And, you know, I'm I'm waiting for, you know, the day they bring on Gritty to be one of their analysts <laughs> just because they want to get the kids market. I just wonder oh, how it wound up so you. sour. How Because I, I can handle, like, um, like, I actually don't mind, like, the sort of, like, ex-jock sort of perspective on stuff. It doesn't always illuminate that much. But like Smoltz does this during the baseball broadcasts during the postseason where it's like that perspective all converges on like not even on like we used to do it differently in my day, but on like this is boring and bad and like I wish I was golfing. (laughs) Well, but in truth, Smoltz is probably right because baseball has never been less entertaining. I mean, there's less action now than ever. And you still got to sell it. That's his job. The problem with you know, ex-players, is that the further away from playing that they get, the more they dislike what they're looking at. 
Um, I mean, you even see it on Inside the NBA, you know, where they basically, these are guys who are, are they seem like four drunks who don't drink, but they're clearly having fun being with each other, but they will complain about what they're watching because what they're used to is not what they're getting. Yeah. And baseball has changed as much as any other sport in the way it's played. You know, it doesn't get, doesn't get you know credit or blame or note for it, but it's a dramatically different game than 15 years ago. Basketball is a dramatically different game than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And the longer you have X, you know, X players, you know, the same X players, you know, looking at this stuff, the more it feels alien to them. And they, the more they feel like this is not what I learned. And I don't think I like it because it's new. Uh, you guys ready for the guy of the week? Yes. It's time for the guy of the week in honor of the college football season. Your guy of the week is former LSU stallion Cecil the Diesel Collins. Everybody say it. Give it up. Cecil, Cecil Collins. I, you love this guy. We talked about him in Nashville and no one knew who the hell he was. You know why? He was part of the what I think is probably the greatest backfield. Well, one of because Bama put together some good backfields ever since. But he was in a backfield with Kevin Falk and Rondell Mealy. And it was one of the most insanely loaded college backfields I've ever seen. So that's why I have that's why I have Cecil there. Yes, he was also uh, later arrested for burglary for breaking into a woman's home and saying he just wanted to watch her sleep, which is sounds. <laughs> less, see, uh, it seems possibly. a bit questionable that he would want that that would be all he wanted to do. But he was arrested and went to prison. Got married while he was in prison. Cecil, congrats, man. That's a, probably came off less comforting than he intended for it to. Uh, yeah, according to Wikipedia, uh, Collins married a woman he met while she was visiting another inmate. So Damn. he stole stole a woman's girl while in prison. <laughs> How do you not get shanked for that? I don't know. That's, I'm not like, big on prison culture because I am a doughy elderly white person. But no, that does seem like one that of those seems ones. like you're asking for so- for something bad to happen to you in the exercise yard. If you're if you're the size of of someone like Cecil Collins, that may not be as as large of a concern to you. But These I think you, I were, think you just brought him up because you like saying Cecil the Diesel. I do. You know what? I, it's it, now I'm the meathead. I, I like just wanted to say Cecil the Diesel, and I like yeah any nickname that rhymes because nicknames now are just shitty in sports, even in wrestling. So I and I truthfully, want. who's named Cecil anymore? Yeah, we don't it's have that true. many. Cecil is the Thelma of men's names. <laughs> Someone pointed this out that like Gary Sanchez might be the last Gary we get in baseball for a really long time. Like I ma- refuse to believe that. There's going to be like five guys named Dakota in the majors in three years and nobody named Gary. And we need to get ready for that. There's, there will be a Gary in baseball. I think Manfred would, as much as a, <laughs> the, as the, much as a poser innovator Manfred wants to be, he's going to keep a Gary in there. Yeah, like he's going to re- replace the baseball with a tennis ball like in two years, but there is going to be some sort of Gary mandate. Let's, I would support that, actually. Whatever. Like, whatever works. Who's uh, who's ready for the fun bag? You ready for the fun bag, Ray? Why do you keep asking if we're ready? It's not like we have a choice. <laughs> this is a bro- it's a podcast. I have to... I'm I'm on the air. I'm not actually live. You know but Ray I have doesn't to, want this shit. You just gotta, I have to get you, ask I, him. I, I no, but, but, pump, but this I is... I you pumped and jacked. It's like, it's like I'm the Hank Williams Jr. of this motherfucker. No, but no, yeah, but this is almost like all those, you know, pregame shows is we're going to get you ready for, you know, such and such versus so and so. That's I right. I don't need to be ready. 
I'm on my couch. I have done everything that I can do. This is not getting ready. This is just sitting my fat ass down. It's a rhetorical question. I'm getting you pumped, pumped yeah. and jacked for shitty questions. Gets the people into it. Yeah. God. Into, into Jets Bengals. This is the Jets Bengals portion of the podcast, Ray. I just want to you, get you ready tonally for what you're dealing with. I want you quivering with breathless anticipation, <laughs> Rado. Anticipation? Anticipation. This is from Michael. Michael said, Drew, like you, I used my time during lockdown to become a robe guy. However, I live in a part of the world which, even with great air conditioning and a relatively small apartment, a robe has become a bit impractical sweat-wise. The solution I discovered? A nightshirt. It feels <laughs> vaguely anachronistic and fancy like a robe, but is far more practical in the summer. I know your kids are older, but as the father of the malevolent toddler is also a more practical mid-evening, mid-evening parenting garment, does not fly open and cause... Her to exclaim, Harry nipples when I'm chasing after her. Would either of you gentlemen wear a night shirt? A night can shirt. You, can you buy a night shirt, Rado? Um, could I? I suppose they make them, so yeah, I could, but I don't I was, do you know You know a guy? A night shirt reminds me of only one thing, and it is one of the most pleasant things I've ever seen in my life, which was the mirror scene from Duck Soup with, uh, <laughs> with Groucho Marx. And that was the last time I thought that a nightshirt was appropriate for anything. And because it was so perfect, I don't want it to be re- redone. So yeah, my, my stance is no, based on the fact that, you know, it's sort of like doing Godfather 4. You know, I, idea, I've seen the best. I don't want to see every, anything else. The idea that I, Groucho Marx perfected a look and that no one else should touch it afterwards is really a, a pleasant concept for me. I think wearing a nightshirt, so this would just be like, a really large T-shirt is what he's yeah, talking about. Yeah, I just it would be like, do I need a cap to go with it? Am I in a am I in a fucking Dickens novel? Yes, like, you no I, no no. You need the cap and a candle to carry around. You need a your candle. Home. You'd have to carry a candle looking for a ghost. Yeah, you'd have like some mice friends that help you do stuff. It, I guess a lot of stuff does come with a nightshirt. I think I actually have a garment that I could wear as a nightshirt, but I would not. It's I think the one. Uh, of all the dumb things that I bought at Goodwill and then have later been owned at home for by my wife, this was like honestly, like I felt pretty dumb about it. But it was um, it was clearly a game used Idaho Stampede shooting shirt, like something that you'd wear during warmups when you were on the Idaho Stampede NB NBDL you know developmental league team, and it was not worn by one of the guards on that team. Like this was a, a double XL. Uh, it is the the widest, but also the longest garment that I own. So if I decided to live the nightshirt lifestyle, it would be in a Jersey that was worn by like, I'm trying to think of who that would even be like extreme, uh, like sort of end of career Don Reed, which uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I can try it and report back. That's definitely very erotic. Yeah. The, well, and the other thing you need with a nightshirt is two white socks, one that's almost knee length and the other one that's around your ankles. Yes, that is a <laughs> yeah. With no look. no elastic left in it. Just yeah. drooping down like a like a like a turtleneck. Basically the answer a compression sock and to... something you saved from high school. Yeah. We need the bad sports art guy to draw us uh like the three of us wearing night shirts and then we'll see which one of us looks best. Rado, you are a fantastic guest this week. We're yeah, gonna man. can you will you come back? Are you ready to come back? Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to morning drink, but I can do this for you. 
That's fair enough. Uh, Brandon Nix is the producer and engineer of this podcast. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer and Citrus chief content officer is Chris Bannon. You can listen to us ad-free and ad-free episodes of Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And for a free month of Stitcher Premium, you go to stitcherpremium.com and you use the promo code DISTRACT. Very, very tricky. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you listen. And we'll see you next week. Bye, Rado. See you, Raw. Bye. Sorry, and go away. (laughs) 